Hey, all right, everyone. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your precious day to come here and listen to this show. I want to um, reiterate how much I appreciate you all coming and being open to learning new concepts um, and really empowering yourself and changing your life and others. It's really meaningful to me and it really drives me to keep giving you all this information. So again, I say it first show to this show as much as I can, but thank you all. All right. Very good show today, like I say all the time, but uh, I'll be going over the sunlight. Now, sunlight, 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 like there's a lot of myths around it, how much of it is true, uh, do we avoid it all the time, do we need the sun? I think there's some really important conversation topics that we need to ha have on this. And then I'm going on a product review and going into, I can't believe I took so long to do this, but I'm going into Boost and Ensure, the worst drinks, but we want to know why and which ones are better choices, all right? And then we have a special guest, Jason Goldberg. He is, shoot, a motivational guru. He, he has, he, the way he puts things to empower us, our mental health and our physical health is pretty incredible. He has an incredible story. So Jason will be coming on and, and talking about some really, really, really powerful stuff. All right, so without further ado, let's get right into the knowledge bomb. Sunlight is essential, all right? I'll say that again. Sunlight is essential. It is a pillar of health, particularly midday sun. We evolve with the sun, right? So we have to have a relationship with it. We have to understand what our relationship is to it, how often we have to be in the sun, how little do we have to avoid the sun, or do we always have to avoid it? I think there's some really important points that need to be made. One of our biggest mistakes in medicine that we've made, period, is convincing the population that the sun is dangerous, all right? Now, that may, may be a little controversial, but I'm going to go into it and why. There, we, are, we are right. When it comes to, say, the UV radiation is ionizing. And ionizing means that it has a potential to damage DNA. Gamma rays, X-rays are ionizing, whereas a microwave is not ionizing. But UV rays are ionizing. So it has a potential to disrupt DNA, damage DNA, and lead to several forms of skin cancer, right? That's the fear that that surrounds the sun, getting out, damaging your skin, and getting skin cancer. But the thing is, it's not the root cause of skin cancer. I remember when I was in college, I went to the dermatologist, and he said, avoid the sun as much as I can. And when I do go in the sun, I need to be wearing SPF 30 minimum. So then I go, why? Because I was like the devil's advocate, contrarian, in college, but I go, why, right? I always wanted to question. He said, because UVB rays cause skin cancer. And he was right, right? They do, they do, can, they can damage the skin. And then I go, well, then why isn't everyone dying from skin cancer? Because everyone's exposed to the sun. Why is everyone dying? He didn't really have an answer to that. But my question and that response was enough to get me thinking a little bit um, and understanding that those recommendations are always not my holy grail. It's sort of how I, how I went about life, right? Us doctors, we know a ton about health and wellness, and there's a big spectrum, but we absolutely don't know it all. So yeah, sun rays are ionizing. I said that. Yes, they create oxidants. That's what ionizes the DNA, these oxidants that are created by those UVB rays. But I think it's foolish by the medical community to see this as black and white. We are told, always wear sunscreen every time you're exposed to the sun's rays to protect ourselves. But you know what negates those things? that ionizing radiation or those oxidants that are created, you know what is more important in essence than sunscreen, especially because sunscreen does not adequately protect you from the sun as a whole. It's a more of a filter than it is a blocker. 
but you know what protects us? Antioxidants. They are called antioxidants because they are the other side of oxidants. They can negate, they can quench those oxidants such that they won't have a harmful effect in our body. And this is how we protect ourselves. This is how we protect our body from sun rays that can be potentially oxidizing. So then I started thinking, maybe the bigger picture of these skin cancers that are manifesting are folks who have very poor antioxidant status, maybe a genetic predisposition, but really epigenetically a poor antioxidant status. So then they're being exposed, 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 prolonged amount of time to the sun, burning, damaging with UVB rays, creating those oxidants, and you don't have enough antioxidant capacity to negate those oxidants. So then we have DNA damage. So it stands to believe then, if we have a robust amount of antioxidants, well then we're naturally protected from the sun. And I promise you, standard American diet is far from a robust amount of antioxidants, which goes back into my recommendations of always talking about the way that I push people to eat is because of antioxidants. Aside from vitamins and minerals, antioxidants. So as far as sunblock, you're gonna get protection. Remember I said it's a filter, not a full block. You're not gonna get 100% block from the sun, right? It's a filter, but the trade-off is you're not getting the benefits from the sun right? And the sun, again, we evolve with the sun to, to take those benefits for our health too, right? We have that relationship where the sun provides and we heal. So ask yourself, really the bigger question is not how much SPF is in my sun block, but the better question is how much antioxidant rich foods are you eating and drinking? So you know what? Antioxidant is by far the best when it comes to sun protection, vitamin C. Very simple. So ask yourself, are you eating enough vitamin C rich foods? Are you drinking enough vitamin C rich drinks, right? Kaduku plums, acerola cherries, chili peppers, guavas, yellow peppers, black currants, thyme, parsley, mustard seed, kale, kiwi, Brussels sprouts, lemon, orange. Sounds like a plant-based diet to me. Sounds like a plant full diet, right? And these are the colors of the rainbow, right? You got red in the cherries, green in the in the kaduku plums, red chili peppers, right? We talked about kiwi green, kale green, right? Lemon, yellow, orange, orange, right? There's your colors of the rainbow. This is why I say rule of thumb, always get the colors of the rainbow all throughout the day because you're providing yourself those important antioxidants. If you're gonna be in the sun and, and you know, like let's say you have a beach day or you're just gonna be out playing volleyball all day or soccer all day in the park or in a picnic, make sure you're eating vitamin C rich foods. Other important sun protecting antioxidants, vitamin A carotenoid-rich foods, vitamin E, lycopene, resveratrol, CoQ10, right? If you are wondering, just look up vitamin A-rich foods, carotenoid-rich foods, vitamin E-rich foods, lycopene-rich foods, resveratrol and CoQ10-rich foods. But I promise you, majority of those are going to look a lot like the colors of the rainbow and plant food. So again, if you're planning to be in the sun, think about how you can optimize those plants in your diet the day before or the day of right? Get yourself a juice that has all of these rich, rich antioxidants for yourself. And then you're, you're giving your body what it needs to be protecting itself from the sun. And this is why antioxidant-rich creams really help so much for folks who are sunburned or preventing them from getting sunburned. All right. So if you, again, if you have those adequate levels of antioxidants, stands to believe then it's quenching and negating those oxidants that are that are coming from that DNA or that are coming from the UVB rays. All right, so protect yourself from the sun. Make sure you're eating these foods and drinking these foods. That way you can enjoy the sun's benefits, right? Getting yourself some vitamin D, 
right? You know your body needs vitamin D. I did a whole show on vitamin D, right? It's a hormone more than it is a vitamin, but we know it's a major source from the sun, right? We're getting so much vitamin C from the sun, right? The benefits, I, I said, are covered extensively, but basically what you're doing is vitamin D is being activated in the body. It's sucking up calcium from the intestines, bringing it to our bones, right? You want a kid to grow strong and healthy, skip the milk, right? The calcium and the bone connection is pretty weak when it comes to milk. That data is almost non-existent, actually. But you want to optimize that for your children. Get them out in the sun, Get them exercising, right? Putting putting stress on their bones, right? That's how you strengthen and, and ensure healthy bones for a kid. Vitamin D is super important for immune function, something we all need in this time period, right? We wanna optimize our immune function. And I spoke about this on my show, talking about the importance of vitamin D. This was episode 57, the importance of vitamin D when it comes to respiratory health against infections. And then vitamin D when it comes to overall immunity, I spoke about in episode 22. So go back and check them out if you wanna learn more about it. But for me, this is nature's gift for protection, right? Protection against infection. And in the words of Stephen Lynn, he put up an awesome post this week. It said, vitamin D is the immune system, period. Vitamin D is immune system. You have poor vitamin D status, you're likely to have poor immune function. If you have a poor immune function, you're likely to open yourself to infections. So vitamin D should be your first line in optimization. This is why anytime I feel off, I'm in the sun, more than I usually am. I got my feet on the ground, right? I'm eating all of those antioxidant-rich foods. I'm even supplementing vitamin D sometimes when I'm feeling really crappy. So think about this next time you're feeling not yourself and like you have a flu coming on or a cold coming on. Think about this and check out those other vitamin D episodes, okay? And we know vitamin D is protective against heart disease, strokes, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune disease, right? Cognitive decline, right? The data that is coming out is even showing that it's protective against cancers, like breast cancer, prostate cancer, right? So make sure you go and get your vitamin D levels checked, right? You want it between 40 nanograms per milliliter and 60 nanograms per milliliter, right? Most of us are, I mean, well, I've tested a lot of people's vitamin Ds. They're in the 20s and 30s, especially if you're living, see, vitamin D is fat soluble. It stores up in your fat. So let's say you get a good amount of sun in the summer, and you live like I did in New York, New Jersey, then what, what happens is over the, over the few months, you start depleting those vitamin D storages. That's why that seasonal depression, which I absolutely used to get, comes on in February and March, right? Because that's when our vitamin D is really low, so we're not getting much sun, and those storages are being depleted. So that's why you might want to consider supplementing, but make sure you talk to your doctor, all right? But vitamin D, for me, is a personal favorite of mine because it's cheap, it's nature's gift, and it has such a broad range of benefit for us. Well, what else does the sun do? Well, circadian rhythms, right? Sun is our primary cue next to darkness for balancing our circadian rhythms. The very rhythm tells us about our wake and sleep cycle, right? It gives our body reference to our biological processes. The sun triggers and tells our body, no more melatonin, yes, wake up serotonin, right? And serotonin is essential. It's essential as melatonin when it comes to our sleep-wake cycle, right? If we're getting adequate sun during the day, it's helping us sleep at night, right? This is why the sun improves your mood, decreases anxiety and depression, right? Because serotonin is being produced more and more and more the more you're in the sun. And this is the target of SSRIs. You may have heard of Zoloft and Prozac. Well, what they do is they limit serotonin reabsorption, right? So you have the prolonged amount, uh, prolonged benefits of serotonin on your mood. That's how the antidepressants work. So sun literally makes you happy. 
I feel happy. You ever go to the beach, come out of the beach and going, I'm more angry and more depressed than I was before I went on the beach? No, absolutely not. You're in the sun, you have the ocean, you have these panoramic views, you have people around. It's a beautiful thing. All right. So if you didn't know that the sun is directly connected to your mood, I mean, go call your friend in the Pacific Northwest in the middle of January and see how they are faring with no sun. This is what I mentioned, right? That's those storages of vitamin D and then what it does to our serotonin. So we need sun. All of us. This is how we evolved. Additionally, serotonin helps regulate digestion, right? It's primarily found in the intestines. It's an appetite suppressant, for which for me is pretty interesting when I found that out because every time I go in the sun, I'm spending a prolonged amount of time in the sun. I'm not necessarily hungry after, and that's because my serotonin is high. I'm pretty happy, but I ain't that hungry. So, um, uh, so that's another important thing. Cortisol regulation, that's, that's another biological process, a cue that the sun gives, right? I always say when you wake up, go outside within 20 minutes, let your face, let your eyes hit the sun, right? And no windows don't count. Go outside, right? This, the window will block that, those rays. But let your body and your face hit the sun. It's something that I do when I wake up. As soon as I wake up, I step outside. Um, I'm still in my underwear, and I'm letting the sun hit my face and my body. And that stimulates something called the cortisol awakening response, which literally tells our body how to balance those stre that stress hormone, the cortisol hormone throughout the day. It gives us a cue. So it bursts your cortisol up during in the morning, and then it's progressively going to go down throughout the day. So as you see, the sun is so important, not only for, okay, vitamin D and our hormone, but also our biological processes. We need those cues from the sun, right? And if we're slathering ourselves in sunblock, and go just to go out, you know, in protection for being out for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, then you're not getting the absorption in the full spectrum of what you need from the sun, right? So for folks who have a genetic predisposition, right, who've, who've had skin cancer or a family history of skin cancer, or they're eating a really crappy diet, right, all those epigenetic factors, exposures to all these toxins in their life, well, then, you know, those folks are more predisposed to those skin cancers, right? The sun damage. But for I know all you listeners are, have been taking my recommendations from day one. So I know you're all eating a variety and colors of plant-based foods, right? A full rainbow of colors. I know you're exercising. I know you're now aware of all the toxins in your home. You've literally reduced that toxic load such that you're putting your body in a better place to be completely okay with the sun, right? So this is what I say, right? The, this, that's the population that should be using sunblock, you know, religiously are those folks with a genetic predisposition, right? Family history, poor diet, right? Toxic exposures, right? Those people wear protective hats, wear protective clothing, utilize the shade, right? But please, the medical community needs to stop telling us that all of us should be avoiding the sun. That's ridiculous right? So how long should you be in the sun? Well, it depends on the person. I always recommend we get 10 to 30 minutes of midday sun. Midday sun is between the hours. Well, it's 12 o'clock. That's midday. That's when it's the strongest. But really from the range of 10 or 11 to three o'clock is when you want to get your therapeutic sun exposure, right? We're not talking about going out and tanning, but getting a therapeutic level of sun exposure, right? So I mentioned noon being the highest amount and do this several times a week. Right now, folks with darker skin like me, we need about three to four times the amount of time outside to get the same benefit as folks with fairer skin. But listen to your body, right? If you know you go outside and in 15 minutes you're getting red and burnt, well, then pay close attention, right? Your body's super sensitive. Go out for 10 minutes, go out for five minutes, just get some sun, right? Um, but for me, I know I can be out for several hours, one and a half to two hours before I even get an inkling of being uncomfortable in the sun, but that's me right? My family's equatorial, 
right? If you're in different light and higher latitudes, then pay close attention how your body reacts. Not all of us are the same, right? I can go without sunblock for hours and be completely fine, but I know that if I'm going to spend six hours on the beach, I'm bringing sunblock with me, right? Because after about an hour and a half, two hours, I need to be putting it on. Maybe different for you, all right? So again, we shouldn't all be avoiding the sun. I think it's ridiculous to say that, right? Um, but again, listen to your body, pay close attention, right? Not everyone is the same. All right. So go worship the sun, give the sun some love, but listen to your body. Man, I need to get to this product review. It's been on my mind. We're going to go in on these guys. Boost and ensure, and I'm going to give you some other options. So without further ado, please let us get to this product review. Boost and ensure. Lord Jesus, I don't know why I did not do this review earlier. Right? I'm kind of disappointed in myself because I have so much to say about this. And I've been very vocal about it on my social media. And actually, it's made some big waves. And I love that. But now it's time to really review this and say my piece about this, right? I'm truly disappointed. I'm disappointed in hospitals for carrying this crap, right? I, I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed, right? Because if you go to the supermarket, you go to the supermarket shelves, you're going to see junk food. You're going to see toxic food. You're going to see inflammatory food, right? But I'm still disappointed. Why? Because the sickest people in America and in the world are given this crap, right? And that's patient neglect to me, right? That goes against everything when we say first do no harm, right? Because this is essentially doing only harm, right? For, for, so for me, I feel like it's a criminal that it's even in the hospitals. And I've, I've butted heads with a lot of dietitians on this and even some clinicians or, or, or physicians about this not being, it shouldn't be in a hospital. Um, so anyway, my personal experience with Booz and Insure, I've had a few actually. When And, and for those uh, of you uh, listeners and viewers, you know that my mom passed away from breast cancer when I was in uh, my first year of medical school. Um, and it was before that that, uh, that I, I didn't even know what Booz and Insure was, but I would take her to her um, visits sometimes. And when we'd sit there, I, I, I mean, I'd be the caregiver, right? I'd, I'd take in all the information, write down the notes. But there was a point where she was really losing some weight, right? And, and it's called cachexia, right? There's, it's an inflammatory process where you just lose more and more weight. And you could tell people who are really sick are cachectic. Now, one of the first interventions, and this is sort of what actually triggered me to come into this field, is hearing that she needs to eat calorically dense foods. So we talked about calorically dense foods and that being like, I, they had recommendations of anything she wants, pizza, cake, um, cookies. And I'm like, every time I heard those words, I started cringing more and more and more because at the time, yes, I didn't understand nutrition the way I do now, but I understood nutrition to the point where what it does for our body, at least from a fitness standpoint, like bro nutrition, right? But then she went home with these boost shakes and then another time she went home with these insure shakes and I was like, what is going on? When I even looked, I knew how to read nutrition facts at that point. I looked at the nutrition facts. I go, this is full of sugar. Like, this is horrible. And I read the ingredients. I go, this crap is terrible, right? And that's what it was. I also had issues with this in residency because in the residency that I was in the cancer hospital, this was continuously given to the people in the inpatient side, right? Post, post-surgery or the people who are, who are really sick and needed tube feeds, this was given to them all the time. And I'm talking to the dietitians. I'm like, why are we giving them this? There has to be better options. Like, let's explore this. Thankfully, they, a lot of them were more open and not dogmatic about it. But the problem is this. I understood at that point that this is what they're taught. 
This is the guidelines that they walk on, or they work under, right? And Boost and Insure are aggressively marketed to healthcare providers, right? On top of that, Medicare and Medicaid is usually covering it. So this is given to everyone. It's a standard. So for me, I wanted to look into the other options. But before I really start picking these guys apart, I want to read you a quote from a New York Times article two years ago, right? It's called Sugary Shakes in Hospital Aren't Good Medicine. And it was by Dr. David Lieberman, right? He's in, he works in internal medicine at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital. And this is his quote. He said, this is how I've been treating malnutrition. Beverages that contain refined sugars like these have been linked in many rigorous studies to metabolic derangements like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and fatty liver. When I see patients in my office, I remind them at every visit to avoid these kinds of heavily processed and sweetened foods and drinks. So he was speaking exclusively about Boost and Ensure. So I know it rubbed him the wrong way as it did, as it does many clinicians and even dietitians. So um, why? Why is this stuff crap? So for those of you who don't know, Boost and Ensure are quote unquote nutrition drinks, right? They are calorically and protein dense, right? They have some micronutrients, vitamins and minerals, right? You already know that hospital food is terrible, but on top of that, they're getting this stuff, right? The elderly, the immunocompromised, the post-surgical, the folks with cancer, and everything in between. The sickest of the sick are being prescribed this. So not only did, did does that happen, like that, not only is that the population, but also this is given to younger folks too. I remember when I put up the stories on Boost and Insure, I got a DM from this young guy in high school. He's saying, my coach told me I need to drink three, four of these a day to put on weight for football, right? So remember, it's not just the sick, it's not only being used in hospitals, you know, you could buy it at your local supermarket for weight gain, right? Or football, wrestling, whatever it is, but be very careful if you're giving this to your kids. There are better options, I'm gonna go through them, all right? So Boost and Insure are made, are made by uh, Nestle and Abbott, respectively. And these two companies are known uh, to make products with really poor quality ingredients, right? Look across their, look across their product catalog. Um, none of these are organic, nothing is non-GMO. Uh, the very front of both say natural and artificial flavors. And that's on brand with the drinks as a whole anyway. All right, so let's go into Boost first. Here we go. Boost Plus Balanced Nutritional Drink. So for Boost, automatically, it says helps gain or maintain weight, which is a wonderful idea for folks who are really sick, right? You want to help gain and maintain weight. But let me read you the first six ingredients, okay? This is the Boost. Okay, first one, water. Okay. Second one, glucose syrup, literally sugar syrup, right? Simple sugar syrup is what you're getting as a second ingredient. What do you think that this is doing to patients' insulin levels? What do you think that this is doing to patients' metabolic health when they need metabolic stability more than ever? Third ingredient, sugar. Well, Lord, that's not enough. If sugar syrup wasn't enough, you're getting straight refined sugar. We know connected to weight gain, great, that's beautiful, but it doesn't have to go down this route, not straight sugar. Heart disease, diabetes, neurodegenerative diseases, hormone dysfunction, immune dysfunction, right? Increase in risk of cancer, mood disorders, fatty liver disease. Do I have to continue going? But here's the best part. The folks who are drinking this have those very diseases. On top of that, the sugar itself is coming from genetically modified sugar beets. Now, you know you know, exposure to glyphosate, which I speak about at nauseum and how I feel about it, right? But to say it in short, it's adding a powerful dose of fuel to the fire. 
All right, what are the other ingredients? Vegetable oil, right? Usually canola, corn, or soy oil. Same thing, genetically modified. You're getting exposed to glyphosate, way more fuel to the fire. It's a huge dose of fuel to the fire. Not to mention canola oil is heavily processed, extracted with toxic hexane, right? Vegetable oils you want to avoid as, as, as a whole, but by virtue of them being having a heavy inflammatory profile, and they're typically derived from genetically modified foods, especially if it's not organic, as we see, right? And they're heavily processed. So now you have... Uh, toxic, heavily processed oils in there. Then you get milk protein concentrate, right? So remember, if you choose to eat dairy, and I tell people if they go, I'm never going to stop dairy, I go, okay, make sure you're getting high quality dairy then, right? Grass-fed, organic. Not this one though, right? It's imperative to have organic if you are eating dairy. And you know how I feel about dairy as a whole, but conventional dairy, all right, now you're getting a change in inflammatory profile, you're getting an inflammatory fluid, right? Added hormones, added antibiotics. This is in a nutritional drink for the sickest of the sick, right? And also, what do you think that does to your gut? And then you get soy protein isolate, same thing, genetically modified soy. I just spoke about with, about GM foods. And then it ends with artificial, natural and artificial flavor, right? And I did a whole show on artificial flavors. They affect us all, especially our kids. So keep these away from your children. Um, is crazy to even read those ingredients. I hope all of you are cringing somewhat because I know you're a very educated audience at this point and I'm reading these and I know, I know they're making you feel the same way it does me, right? One bottle has 360 calories, great, great for weight gain. 45 carbs, okay, 24 grams of sugar. Now, American Heart Association says the maximum amount of added sugars in a day should be between 25 and 35 grams, right? There are 25 and 35 grams per day. For me, that's still a little bit too much because no one should be really eating added sugars like that, right? But this has 24 grams. That's already on the low end of the spectrum of the American Heart Association lower limit. So mind you, folks don't drink one. They drink one, two, three, four, five a day. You know, I've seen folks drink five a day of these, right? How much sugar is that? That's over 100 grams of sugar. For folks who are healing, that's crazy to me, all right? That's Boost. Now check this out. Over here, I have the Insure Plus. This is the one by Abbott. So according to the Federal Trade Commission website, 1997, the Federal Trade Commission charged this company, Abbott, for making false and unsubstantiated claims in an extensive national advertising campaign that promoted Insure for healthy, active adults, right? Abbott represented without adequate substantiation that many doctors, many doctors recommend Insure as a meal supplement and replacement for healthy adults, including those in their 30s and 40s. Right? So the FTC also challenged the false advertisement about Abbott's representation that one serving of Insure provides vitamins in an amount comparable to the typical multivitamin supplements. Right? So according to the complaint, what Abbott's saying is that uh, their vitamins and minerals hit 100% of the recommended daily allowance. But then when you look at the back, it doesn't hit 100 actually much less. So they agreed to settle on these claims uh, and they were sued. But same thing when it comes to um, Insure with Boost, right? Water, corn maltodextrin, right? I talked about genetically modified corn maltodextrin, Sh straight sugar, refined sugar, the blend of vegetable oils, canola oil and corn, right? Milk protein concentrate, right? Conventional milk, soy protein isolate, genetically modified. And then the same thing, it also ends with natural and artificial flavors. It's pretty much the same profile as Boost, the same crap as Boost. Right, So I don't understand how this is in hospitals to this day. It shouldn't be in hospitals. I stand very tall against it. So um, if you are a dietitian or physician listening to this, or you're a dietitian or physician 
offers you this as a option for you or your loved one, start looking at other substitutions. It's okay that if you know, dietitians and physicians, it's okay that if you are taught this and this is a guideline, but now you're empowered to make a change. If you're being recommended, now you're empowered to make a change, right? So for folks on tube feeds, there is a better option. It's called Liquid Hope. And uh, it's, it's no gluten, dairy-free, corn-free, soy-free, no added sugars, and USDA organic, right? And it's made from whole foods. So if you or a loved one are on tube feed or you're recommending a patient for tube feed, instead get them liquid hope. It's more expensive, yeah, but much, much more better for the patient, right? And if you're not on tube feed, do what I did, right? They gave this to my mom and I threw it away. And she never put her mouth on a boosted ensure. And I started making her smoothies, right? In a calorically dense smoothie, so it matches in the back. It matches what you're seeing macronutriently and micronutriently. You can use clean protein powder. And I did a whole show and post on protein powders, right? Use calorically dense ingredients. Use nut butters, right? Almond butter, right? You can use, you can use macadamia butter, coconut butter, right? Put in, put in nuts, some seeds, even coconut oil, right? Make sure you're getting those calorically dense foods in there and then coupling it with fruits and vegetables, right? So you're getting now the abundance of micronutrients. Use different colors. And actually, if you hook up with a naturopathic doctor or a functional doctor, they can even recommend you um, powders that'll help support uh, weight gain, right? So weight stabilizing powders. Much better than this stuff. They taste better, literally a quarter of the sugar, and much healthier, way less inflammatory, no toxic ingredients. So the best way to be to do it at home, I wish that there was a company that came out with an option, a substitution for this, but it, do what I did, you know, go, go show up at the hospital with smoothie shakes, right? And and I think that's a much better option. And, and dietitians out there, physicians out there, like here's your chance now to put together and get creative and put in smoothie options, right? Five different smoothie options for each day of the week for folks who need this instead. One of my proudest moments as a uh, physician or a naturopathic doctor here is um, when I was on Instagram and I was, I did a whole uh, soliloquy about Boost and Insure and I was, I was going off. And then I got a, um, I got a DM from a physician, an oncologist in Canada. And he said, that he didn't know any of this. And had he known, he would have never given any of his patients booster insure. And he was in the process of removing all of the boost and all of the insure from his hospital, which is pretty incredible. That's a big move. That's the change because I was able to see, wow, just this education, just providing education for these folks can move mountains. So now you all know. Now you can provide the education for dietitians and physicians or dietitians and physicians. If you're listening, now you got the education. This is how we make change. Now you're empowered. Let's make that change. Thank you for listening to this product review. It was a very impassioned one, very fiery one. And now it's time to get to our special guest, Jason Goldberg. All right, everyone. Today's special guest, my guy, Jason Goldberg. He's an author, speaker. He's actually a former rapper too. So we're going to get a little bit into that. But I'm super excited to have him on because he is a mindset guru. And you know how much I talk about mindset connected to the body. 
So without further ado, Jason, man, thank you for coming to the show. Bro, I'm so honored to be here. And I actually came for a rap battle. I thought, are we actually going to talk about something meaningful? Listen, I, it's, a, it's a little too early for me to start rapping. <laughs> what, what time? Wait, well, hold on. What time do you start rapping? 2 p.m. And, and, and onward. <laughs> All right, so y'all heard it. 2 p.m. Yeah, from now on, yeah, call you out. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that, we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do it when we're out one time. For sure, for sure. I'll try. Um, anyway, man, so, God, there's, there's a lot that we have to talk about. I wanted you to come in particularly because the way you communicate and communication to the audience is everything because we have similar styles. We put a lot of energy and passion and people feel it. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes you could be saying the ABCs with so much passion. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh my God, I just, I, I want to start saying the ABCs. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think that you found your niche in that so well, Nish. Um, can you first start off with your health journey because yeah. I think it's it was you've told me before and then you reminded me just now uh, and I, I think we, we need to start there yeah and, and how that's formulated what you've become and we'll go into that too yeah for sure man thank you for that and uh, and yeah we, we're so alike just energetically and it's yeah. it really is about pouring your enthusiasm into whatever it is in front of you in life whether it's your health journey or your business journey or your relationships mm -hmm. it's just bringing that kind of unbridled enthusiasm and I think we both do that really well uh, one place where I didn't bring as much enthusiasm was my health growing up uh, it wasn't something that I really focused on I was raised by a single mother as an only child a single single Jewish mother so she can hear everything you're probably on the pay you're all probably on the payroll mm -hmm. for my Jewish mother. Yeah. Uh, but but I was raised by her and she's amazing. She's a hustler. She worked her butt off to provide for me. But it also meant there didn't leave a lot of time for healthy cooking, healthy eating. I always make a joke that the only thing my mom could really make well is reservations. And that was kind of how I was raised, right? It's like fast food, pizza, yeah. that kind of stuff. So I had really unhealthy eating habits really early on. I didn't have a model for healthy eating. Neither did she for that matter. And I lived in Florida. It was super hot, super humid. And so I just didn't go out and play. I like stayed in the house and play video games. And so my weight started creeping up from the time I was kindergarten, I was like the chunky kid. By kindergarten, I was already chunky. Uh, by the time I was 15, I was 250 pounds. Mm. Uh, and that's, you know, 15 is when kids are really loving and, and accepting and would never judge you based on your appearance. So that mm. was a really fun time to be in high school and be 250 pounds. And it got worse and worse over time. And I got up to 330 pounds in my mm. late 20s. Wow. So, uh, and it was, it was a really, all of it was rough. I mean, from the time I was Probably 15 or 16, I started having anxiety, stress, depression, uh, suicidal thoughts into my mid to late 20s. And it was something that always plagued me. I, I was married for quite a long time. And my wife, my ex-wife would tell you, like there were times where she would find me on the floor in the morning in the closet crying mm. because my clothes were so tight on my body and I just mm. felt so constricted. Mm. And it's like, I felt worthless. Like I just felt like I didn't even, I didn't belong in the world because I just felt so disgusted with myself. So I tried things forever to try and lose weight. And, and finally, I started researching bariatric surgery. And it was something where I didn't even talk about it for a while because there was such a stigma. I did this back in 2011. Uh, there was still such a stigma about it then. Still a little bit of a stigma now, depending on who you talk to. But people thinking like, oh, it's the easy way out. You didn't, you know, you couldn't just do it on your own. And yeah. I felt that, you, have you heard that before? Like that No, but of, I can imagine yeah, where that's coming from. Yeah, yeah it's, it, and it's tough, to, it's tough to hear that. But the fact of the matter is that it took a lot of work, even with the surgery, to lose 130 pounds and then to keep it off for, you know, eight, nine years. And, and so that was really my, my physical health journey was uh, changing my relationship with food, changing my relationship to movement, uh, and changing my relationship to my body in general, trying to overcome the, the body shame and even the body, uh, the kind of disconnection from my body that I had created all those years of my life. Mm. And, and how did you find that once you lost the weight, that 
that just left <laughs> or or was that like you, you had mentioned a, a little bit about how that might have stuck around yeah and, and that's the thing right i think i think common common knowledge common thinking uh is if you have a a body that you're proud of uh, physically aesthetically then everything just works out uh, at least that was for me i was like when i if i lost weight if i wasn't the fat guy oh my god my life would be perfect there would be nothing else i'd need and then I had this beautiful rude awakening of the fact that yes, I can buy clothes in any, any store now, yeah. and I'm still the same stressed, depressed, anxious person that I was before, because mm -hmm. wherever you go, that's where you are. Uh, and so that's when I really started to realize that all of us, every single person I've ever met, not a judgment, it's just the human experience, is overweight in some part of their lives, mm -hmm. right? So I carried around physical weight, and in losing the physical weight, I still hadn't attended to the emotional weight to the mental weight, to the financial weight, worrying about money and just all these things that I still carried around. And so I was still overweight even after I had lost the physical weight. Mm. How, how long were you, were you holding this weight? And, and actually what was the, like the full epiphany where you broke through that? Yeah, it was interesting. So for, for all of the weight actually, was there was one really interesting moment. I write about this in my book, uh, In Prison Break. I had this, the first chapter, I say it's the day the universe cut me off. So I was 28, 29 years old. I was making well over six figures in my corporate job. I was in IT consulting for about 15 years before I became an entrepreneur. And I remember this one day, I'm sitting at my desk and I tried to buy some socks. You know my sock game. My sock mm -hmm. game is strong. Yeah, I got my Wu-Tang socks on Wu today. Socks, but I love socks. So I went to buy a bunch of like really cool socks on Amazon and my card got declined. And it didn't make sense. I knew I had money in the bank. And, and so I tried it again and my card got declined again. And I had such anger issues back then, bro. You have, like, I mean, I was the guy to like punch holes in the mm. wall. I would chase people in traffic. Mm -hmm. But then I was a wuss. Like if I caught him, I wouldn't do anything. Yeah. I'm like, oh crap, like yeah, I wasn't yeah. supposed to catch up. <laughs> and so I just had all this anger, this rage that would boil up in me for like nothing, no matter what happened. And so I got super rageful. I like threw my chair back into the wall in my office and I storm out into the lobby and I call my bank and I'm like mashing the zero button so I can get like a live person on the phone. And I finally get somebody and I'm like, what's going on? Why is my card declined? And they say, well, sir, it looks like there was some potentially fraudulent activity on your card. Mm. So we went ahead and cut your card off just to protect your assets. Mm. Of course, normal people like you would be like, oh, thank you so much like, for taking care of me. I got extra mad. I doubled down on my anger. Like, what do you mean? Like, did somebody steal my identity? Like, they hacked my account? What happened? And they said, well, I don't know. I can read you the charges and you can tell me if any of these are yours or not. I said, yeah, tell me the charges. It was four fast food restaurants in one day. Mm. And that was the trigger in their system to cut it off because that must be that somebody oh, stole no your one card. Is, okay. No one would go eat at four fast food restaurants oh, in a day. See, see. They're testing your card with small amounts yeah. before they go make a big purchase to see if you've cut it off. But it was all me. Whoa. And that was the day where I was like, I wanted to blame my mom. I wanted to blame society. I wanted to blame the heat in Florida. I wanted to blame everything. And for whatever reason that day, none of the blame stuck. And it was the first time ever that I said, wow, I have no personal responsibility for the way my life is being experienced right now. Mm. And that started my journey on personal growth, on physical weight loss, on mental weight loss, and kind of all the stuff that I do now. Well, I'm really happy that that card got that cue because it's made you into like what you're doing. And now you're translating that, that gift to other people. So at what point did you realize your, your want to all of a sudden want to give your self and your enthusiasm to people. 
what happened there? Was there was there another awakening? <laughs> I think well, I think there is, right? And and here's the thing, like I, I, I say this all the time. I have a one line business plan, which happens to be my one line life plan as well. And it's to leave everybody I meet with at least five percent more joy than I found them. I read that on your bio when we first, you know, connected on, yeah. on Instagram. I was like, all right, that's the guy right there. That's it. And and it can be that simple. And I want everybody listening to like steal that like an artist. Maybe it's the same for you. But if I shift into not being an ego and instead being of service and figure out what is it that I want to activate within other people. That's all I want to know. What can I activate in other people to improve their lives? And for me, I know that when I feel joy, my life is better, obviously, right? But the flip side of that, the, the actual one-line life plan that doesn't look as good on Instagram is I want everybody I meet uh, to be left with at least 5% less suffering mm -hmm. than when I found them. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the reason I'm doing this work is because I know what it feels like to suffer. Not because I'm done suffering, because it's the human experience. Mm -hmm. I still suffer at times, and I hate the way it feels to suffer, and I hate the way it feels to see other people suffer. And so I show up every day and say, it doesn't matter if I'm a Starbucks barista or a bank teller or a coach or whatever it is, how can I try to activate 5% more joy in people's lives? Because at the end of the day, dude, people who are in a lit up, joyful place don't shoot up schools. They don't create, they don't uh, uh, commit terrorist acts. Mm. They don't do horrible things to their bodies. They don't uh, screw up their relationships. They don't ignore their children. Mm. Like it just doesn't occur to people who are at a higher level of consciousness to do those things, mm -hmm. right? And we'll all have those moments because all the work that I do, and it's probably a lot of the work you do as well, it's about navigation, not immunity. Mm -hmm. right? Things are going to happen. I want to learn how to navigate those things. I don't want to have unrealistic expectations that I'll never be stressed again. I'll never be anxious again. But if I can find ways to trigger and activate joy in others, I am given the beautiful gift of having joy activated and triggered mm -hmm. for me as well. Yeah, I, I can I can relate to that for sure. Uh, and I remember, especially when you said it's not about like just all of a sudden being immune to all of these things. Cause there was a point where I was like breaking through my consciousness. And when I was in early college, I was like reading all these books and do, watching all these YouTube videos. And I was like, oh, I get it now. I'm never gonna be stressed again. <laughs> I get it now, like in, in, in this inciting factor that would make me angry. It's like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna be okay. And it's gonna flow through me. And instead all those emotions just got suppressed. Yeah. You see, so I became a master suppressor rather than a master just like integrator. Yeah. And it's a huge difference. It is. And I hope as, as even I'm growing more that I'm able to do that more efficiently. But yeah, you're never immune from that. Yeah, side. not at all. And, and to me, like the goal for transformation is not massive epiphanies. Like when you start on the journey of, of personal growth, it's going to feel like a lot of massive epiphanies. Even on the, the, the health journey, people listening to your podcast and being like, oh my God, I never looked at food that way or mm -hmm. I never looked at supplements, whatever it is. There's a mass massive epiphany you can't sustain massive epiphanies your entire life. That just doesn't work that way, mm -hmm. right? It's like it being in a flow state, you have to have recovery from the flow. You can't be in flow all the time or you're never actually in flow, right? Yeah. There's periods of this. But the reason that that's really important to recognize is because it, it makes us put a lot less pressure on ourselves to live up to some unrealistic standard. If I can wake up every day and try to live in the direction of the way I wanna feel, even if I'm not perfect at it, that's a win. And so for me, real transformation is kind of closing that window from the time I'm triggered about something to the time I understand that I can actually play a role in changing my experience. Mm -hmm. If that used to take five hours for you and now it takes four hours, you are transforming, mm -hmm. right? If it used to take a week and now it takes three days, you are transforming. So give yourself credit for the, the, the micro steps you're taking because that has a macro effect on your experience of life. Yeah, 100%, I can agree. I've, I've been there, like I've been in 
the I've been in the situation that got me mad. I've been in the situation that got me sad. And uh, there came a point where I became sort of the observer. And it was a little sliver. Yep. And I was like, what the heck was that? Like, <laughs> I'm like, wait, that experience isn't me? Yeah. Like, it's not, it, it's not my identity, right? It's not a threat to who I thought I was. And that little sliver, although you're right, it took a week. All of a sudden, it integrated, maybe then, then all of a sudden, two days. And hopefully, like, now I have some control or some semblance of control over it. But what are some tips then? Like, because there's a lot of people listening that are yeah. like, yeah, you know what? Like... I have an argument with my husband and that's it. Like I'm in it and I'm holding resentment against him for months or my wife. How do we start like separating? How do we start seeing ourselves as not that? Yeah. One of the biggest things for me, and it's the thing I, I try to practice as much as possible is not taking my thinking so seriously, right? I don't want to take anything too seriously. And, and there's, and, and just a quick distinction on that. If you're not serious about things, like your thinking or your life, it doesn't mean you're aimless. It doesn't mean you're not purposeful about what you're doing. The opposite of, of, of serious for me is not like flippant mm. uh, or, or I don't care or whatever, mm. reckless. The opposite of, of serious is sincere, right? I want to be sincere about the work I'm doing. I want to be sincere about how I show up in a partnership. I don't need to be serious. I don't need to keep such a tight grip on it. Mm. So, so what I want to do is I want to loosen my grip because we expect our minds to do things that we would never expect our bodies to do. Right? So if you were, let's say you were a surgeon, like you were a heart surgeon and you walked around all day, literally clenching your fist. Like I'm do, like, I'm really doing it. Like I can mm. feel all the blood rushing. I'm feeling my nails digging into my hands. Imagine I did this for six hours and then I had to go do a delicate heart surgery. Mm. And now I have to release my hands and my hands are like shaking and, the, and I'm expecting myself to do delicate heart surgery. No, that's not possible. Same thing happens with the mind. We put so much pressure. We take things so seriously. And then we want to somehow be zened out and blissed out all of a sudden. It doesn't work that way. So if we can start recognizing we're taking things too seriously, and my, my kind of favorite tool for this, I call it having a Britney Spears moment. Okay. So you get in a fight with your, your spouse or your significant other or whoever, your kid, and this thought pops in your head and you're like, screw them, they shouldn't have done this, I'm so sick of all their crap, and you have a Britney Spears moment, you go, oops, I did it again, mm. right? A thought popped in my head and I took it as fact. We think our thoughts are our instructions, we think our thoughts are truth. Our thoughts are thoughts. Uh, it's people think that the, uh, a lot of times the more we think about something, the more true it is. And really it's just the more we think about something, the more we think about something. It's mm -hmm. not actually anything that's real. So just starting to, to separate the story of what you're experiencing from the, the reality, mm -hmm. right? So you're at work and you, uh, and you bring up some kind of idea and somebody, uh, shoots down your idea and you immediately feel rejected. You feel, uh, uh, not enough. It brings up all of your abandonment issues from childhood or whatever it is that's going on. The truth of the matter is that you spoke and they spoke and the words that came out of your, their mouth were not in line with the preference of the, of the words that you hope to come out of their mouth. That's the only factual thing that happened. Everything else is a story on top of that. So the sooner we can start to kind of tease apart the story from reality, the sooner we become free, right? We don't have to let go of the thing. It lets go of us. Mm. Uh, there's... Um, one of, my, one of my favorite mentors we were talking about just really briefly before, before we started uh, is Byron Katie. And Byron Katie has this amazing story where she says she's walking through like a desert area. She lives in Ojai. She's walking through some like desert area and she sees a coil up snake that comes across her path and she starts freaking out. She's like, oh my God, I'm going to be bit by this snake. I'm going to die. I'm going to be out here. My body's going to rot. Nobody's ever going to find me. And her entire life, her entire body has now shifted into this crazy uh, fight or flight response. In that moment, she slowed down enough to take a closer look and saw that it was a coiled up piece of rope, mm. right? Once she saw that, there was no more work to be done. She didn't say, oh, it's a rope. Now I need to go get therapy about my relationship to ropes. Mm -hmm. 
it was done. It was done because she saw the truth. So the more we can start shifting our relationship to have a more casual relationship with our thoughts and not have such a serious relationship with our thoughts, the easier this can all be to navigate. Mm -hmm. And and that that can that be? I think it's a lot of the times harder said than done because so we much. we have the story that is attached to the thoughts so tightly because we've been programmed or it, it, it's been going on since we were seven and we've had a million instances that really revalidated yeah. us as that being our truth. Um, so I can see how many people struggle with this and I can see where you really help transform situations with this. But like, I guess that's what you're saying. Like pay attention to, I guess, connecting the feeling Yes. to the situation. Yep. And if that feeling's not serving you, then maybe, just maybe, it's attached to a story that's not real anymore. Yeah, exactly. And, he and here's the thing, like it's, I really truly believe that we, we live in the feeling of our thinking. Like it's impossible to have a feeling that doesn't have a thought associated to it. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you wanted to get super angry right now, you would have to think angry thoughts mm -hmm. to get yourself to feel angry. The challenge here can be is that when we first start this, it can be extremely easy to say, there's no thought, I'm just really pissed. Right? And that's totally fair. Like there's, I don't have a thought. I don't have any, there's no like conscious dialogue going mm -hmm. on. I'm just pissed off. So cool. So let's start with the feeling and work backwards. Mm -hmm. And this is a beautiful thing. Instead of labeling our feelings as uh, I'm angry, I'm, I'm upset, I'm pissed, I'm whatever. If you put it in one of two categories instead, it's much easier to deal with. And the categories are comfortable or uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. To me, that's so much more freeing. So instead of me being like, I'm angry, I can say, I'm uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable feeling that I have right now. And discomfort is something that's not fun, but it doesn't have the same shame, the same judgment, the same stigma as anger and resentment and fear and mm -hmm. all these different things. It's just like I'm having an uncomfortable feeling. And observing the fact that I'm having this uncomfortable feeling and knowing that it's funny, as much conditioning as we have of these different stories, if we really look at the evidence, the only evidence we truly have is that there is nothing we've been through that we haven't gotten through mm. because we're here right now talking, yeah, right? Yeah. That's the evidence we have. Now we downplay that evidence all day and say, no, no, that was a fluke. I got lucky. Somebody else helped me out of that. The truth of the matter is the human spirit is effing unbreakable. Mm. And when we actually, when, when our concept of who we are catches up to who we really are, we'll blow our own minds, mm -hmm. right? But as long as there's that story in there, we'll never really see ourselves for who we truly are. Mm -hmm. I, I, I so agree with that, man, because you see people who have see themselves for what they truly are, and then you go, wow, I want more of that, without understanding, realizing that you, you kind of are that. Right. You just have like these stories that are holding you back. Yep. So, I, and I love the, the fact that you can categorize it into really simple categories, comfortable or uncomfortable, period. Okay. Because me as a man, I don't want to feel like vulnerable, right? Guys don't want to feel vulnerable. Yep. Guys don't, you know, they want to be cool, calm, collected. Like for me, like Clint Eastwood, I'm like, oh, he's not, he's got no emotion. That's great. That's, that's how a man he's should be. He's bawling on the corner somewhere right yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> he's thinking, yeah, exactly. So, but, but being able to, even me makes me more comfortable saying that I can be uncomfortable and let that be an umbrella term for all of these things that are bubbling. Yeah. And then being able to express it. Yeah. So I guess for for all of the people listening who then can express it, like, is it enough to say I'm uncomfortable and is that going to cover everything? Or can I say I'm uncomfortable, be vulnerable, and then express why I'm uncomfortable? Like that, that's sometimes hard to even speak it. It's very, very hard. Yeah. And, and it's, up to, it's up to you, right? Like you can, whatever feels more comfortable for you, because we're trying to shift into comfort again, right? So, so here's the thing we want to do. From an observational standpoint, the easiest way that I can say this, and, and, and it's an image that I, I use all the time for myself and I teach people all the time because it, to me, it's really, really easy. You have a light in your car, on your dashboard, that will light up when you are low on fuel. 
right? And I have never once had the little light come on in my car and start yelling at my car. You are so stupid. How dare you? Mm. How dare you? I just put gas in you last week. What do you mean you need gas again? I would never do that. I look at the car and go, oh, cool. Well, I'm so glad it told me that I can get gas. And the light also doesn't go on when you're out of gas, right? It goes off when you have like 30, 40 miles still left in the tank. Mm. So if we can start looking at the feelings we're having, regardless of what the thought is, if we can start looking at the feeling as this little early detection system that's built in to us, we didn't ask for it, we didn't do anything for it, it is built into us. That is our little early detection system saying, hey, something's kind of off. The same way the car is saying, hey, you may wanna get gas at some point, the system is saying, hey, something's a little off right now. Mm -hmm. And just slowing down for a minute, just really getting still with that and feeling that for a few minutes, you don't have to talk about your feelings. You don't have to go to you know talk therapy. You don't have to get super open and vulnerable with your partner if you're not ready for that yet. It's all about you anyways. Start observing that stuff without judgment. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing. Like our resistance to our feelings is the biggest reason they stick around. Mm -hmm. That's self-awareness. It's all self-awareness. That's why people preach self-awareness right. forever. Because right. that and, and that's sort of that aha moment where you understand that you're sort of if you can become self-aware about your feelings, that means you're not your feelings. Exactly. Right? exactly. Yeah, if you can, so if you think of like the term uh, uh, train of thought, right? Like you, I, I lost my train of thought or I picked mm -hmm. up my train of thought, whatever it is. It's like that with our real thoughts, right? It's like there are trains that are leaving the station every three seconds with some anger, happiness, joy, creates whatever it is, right? If I can see the train leaving the station, I can't possibly be the train, mm -hmm. right? It's separate from me. Mm -hmm. And there's a really cool exercise you can do that's kind of based in uh, acceptance commitment therapy, ACT. Uh, it's a really, really fun, really, really simple thing. When you're having thoughts or feelings that feel uncomfortable, if we're just sticking with an easy label, write them down on sticky notes, right? Just, or index cards, whatever you want. Sticky notes, index cards. Write them all down and then go up to a wall and stick them all up on the wall. All of your fears, all of your feelings, all of your thinking, put it up on the wall and start backing away from it. And you'll see the further you get as you're backing away, the harder it is to read. And the harder it is to read, your brain will start making a shift and start saying, oh, those are pieces of paper with words on them. Mm. They're not who I am. Mm. And so if you can start literally figurative, like literally and figuratively distancing yourself from your thoughts, you start recognizing you're not your thoughts. Mm. And so in the book, I actually write about it. Um, I call it, uh, you have a baby assassin, right? It's like the, the chapter is called Quieting the Baby Assassin. And so what I like to do, again, to make this more playful, is that I picture there's like a little baby in my head that's like in, like in a little ninja outfit, right? He's like, he's yeah. like chop, judo chopping everywhere. And as soon as, uh, you know, a spouse says something or a coworker says something or whatever, and I start feeling triggered, what I look at that as, as like an alarm system went up inside my head and the little baby assassin gets up and says, it's my time. I'm here. And they just start judo chopping me and kicking me from inside my head. But when I think about like a cute little baby, I literally picture like grabbing him by his little ninja gi mm. and taking him out of my head and putting him on the table next to me and saying, oh, you're so, and he's still just chopping. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're, I just want to pat him on the head. Uh -huh. You're so cute. And the more I can kind of like, I want to ridicule the presence of my fears. I don't want to ridicule myself, mm. but I want to ridicule the presence of my fears. I want to be as kind of light and not serious as possible so they just don't have that same hold over me. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, because, and, and it's funny because you think it's a dragon when in the meantime, it's just a little lizard. Yeah, or and, even worse than that, it's the hand puppet dragon. Yeah. It's like somebody doing this thing and the, the, the yeah. light is shining and it's, oh my God, look at that huge dragon. But then you realize it's just somebody doing a hand puppet. Yeah, and, and, and that visual is really good for me as a visual person yeah. because it empowers you to personify thoughts yep. into something that is not really threatening and controllable and not you. The yeah. three amazing things for me that I, I can identify with. Yeah. I love that. And and I think it's it's powerful for people listening because now we can put more control on our thoughts. And for me, 
I think, um, I think aside from that visualization, meditation really helped me a lot because yeah. um, there came a point where I had a thought and it would stick and then it would have another sponsoring thought. And it would just... Oh my God. It was like, it was like a train of thoughts, literally yep. like all these cabooses <laughs> yep. and the front of it and everything in between. And I was like, what is going on? Like I, 15 minutes ago, I thought about a bill I have to pay. How did I get to like my childhood in New York city? What happened? But then I guess what, what I started training myself is like, I had this visual of me on top of a hill. And then that thought about a bill was just a cloud. Mm. And I was like, oh, there goes the bill and it's flying and then goodbye. Yep. And then another cloud came, but I don't have to follow it. Mm. Uh, that's the way that it started helping for me. But I think day to day, because that's just when you're sitting in meditation, day to day, that that child, the child assassin ninja guy is really helpful too, because if we just can think that, you know, and then when we get home, we maybe we can meditate and really start training that, furthering, solidifying it. So we can be a master of our thoughts, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's another really cool thing you can do from a visualization standpoint. If you don't have time to sit and actually meditate, like sit for 10, 15, 20 minutes, this literally can take you 30 seconds to a minute. And it's one of the most powerful visualizations I could share with anybody. When our lives feel uh, sped up, right? Because that's really what it is. When, when, we're, when we're in this place of like anxiety, despair, fear, uncertainty, it's that we're just caught up in our thinking. It doesn't matter what we're thinking. It's not content of our thinking. It's, it's, not, it's not what we're thinking. It's that we're thinking, right? Mm. The fact that we're thinking is what we're getting caught up in. And so it's really interesting to think about the, the, the responsibility because like you said, control your thoughts. And I think there's so much value and power in understanding that you have uh, a role in contributing to what your thought patterns look like. And taken to an extreme, people can think they are responsible for their thoughts, right? And so the thing I wanna give you that can be a really, really quick kind of meditation is picture a snow globe, you know, like those little like, you know, Christmas snow globe kind of things. And when you shake up a snow globe and the snow is flying all around and there's like a little, a little man, a little person standing in the middle of it, that's how life feels sometimes, right? Like just the, all the thoughts, the bill and the child, everything's flying around and you can't see your hand in front of your face because things are just going nuts. The challenge becomes that we think that we are responsible for grabbing every piece of snow that's flying around and putting it back on the ground. That's when we'll be calm, is when we can get every single thought and get it to be quiet, mm -hmm. right? That that's our responsibility. But what would inevitably happen inside of a snow globe if we did that is every time we're running around putting a piece on the floor, we're kicking up more snow because we're running around the mm -hmm. snow globe. So what do you actually have to do to have a snow globe settle after it's been shaken up? What do you actually yeah, do? Yeah, just stop. You just put it down mm -hmm. and, and the natural system will do its thing. If you just give it a couple minutes, it'll come back to normal. It always has. Again, that's the only evidence we have, mm -hmm. right? You were stressed five years ago about something. You have no idea what it was, but it felt like the end of the world then, yeah. but it's because you were caught up in the snow globe and now it's just not, it doesn't occur to you the same way anymore. So I will often picture a snow globe. I'll just close my eyes, shake a snow globe in my head, and I'll literally, I'll pick a piece of snow that's inside the snow globe and I'll watch it. I'll watch it swirl around and I watch it kind of float down and take kind of an interesting path, and then boom, it hits the, hits the ground. And then I look at another one, and I just kind of watch it, mm. and it's swirling around, and boom, it hits the ground. And I do that for like 30 seconds or a minute, and my entire system calms down. That's liberating, man. That's liberating because it's not even something as active as like, you don't even have to breathe, really. Like, you're focusing on just the things calming down and falling. Yep. And inevitably it does, right? It does. Because it makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, I was in college. I was freaking out about something. What the hell was it? I just remember how I felt. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember what the heck it was when you said that. Um, yeah, even like last week, I was like, oh, no. Uh, but it's okay. Yeah. Because we're alive. Yeah. And we're doing this podcast. That's it. So 
in your book, you give us these tips and, and more, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, what what other things can we look forward to? I know you gave me a copy now, yeah. which I'm going to get into. Cool, yeah. Because we're in quarantine. Yeah. What else you got to do? <laughs> so I'm going. I'm diving right in, but I want to support you too. But tell us, what else can we look in, look for in the book? Yeah. So one of my one of my favorite things in the book. So you know, because we're in the same community, in, in the in the spiritually evolved community, especially in California, the places where they drink all the milks but dairy, uh-huh. uh, there is this uh, thing, this word called intuition. Yeah. Right. And you hear this word all the time, like intuition. The challenge with intuition is that from a health perspective, let's say that you did an entire show about hydration, which actually you did not too mm-hmm. long ago. So this actually fits perfectly. But let's say that you came on record and said, the key to living to a hundred is to have eight glasses of water a day. Let's just say it was that simple. And somebody listens to the podcast and they start drinking eight glasses of water a day and they start dying. Mm-hmm. Like literally like their, their face is sinking, mm-hmm. their eyes are turning yellow and they come to you, they say, dude, I'm drinking eight glasses of water a day. What happened? And you go, well, well, show me. Like, let me go to your house. And you see the eight glasses of water are coming from a sewer runoff from a sewage plant. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so it wasn't the act of drinking the water. We got to look at the source of where the water came from. Mm-hmm. So when we look at something like intuition and people are like, oh, it's, you know, my intuition is telling me this or my intuition is telling me that or I don't know how to like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go next. I have this belief that sometimes your intuition can be drunk, mm. right? It's drunk intuition. And in the same way, if you have a mentor or a friend or an uncle or a parent or a spouse or whoever that you always go to anytime something's going wrong in your life and they always have the best advice for you, they're always there for you, they'll just they'll stop everything to take care of you and help you and you have some big issue that happens in your life and you go to get help from them and you walk in the door and they are completely drunk. They are like obliterated on the floor drunk. Would you ask them for advice in that moment? No. Probably not. And in fact, you would probably say, oh my goodness, I need to take care of them right now. Mm -hmm. They always do such a good job of taking care of me. They need me right now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to be there for you. And then once you sober up, then maybe I'll ask the question then. So the reason I bring this up is because the, the, the place from which our thoughts come is so powerful. Uh, Albert Einstein always said, uh, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you if you if you created a problem here at this level, you can't solve it at this level. You have to increase your consciousness, mm-hmm. right? And so if you try to say like, well, why can't I figure out a solution to this? Why does it take me so long? Why can't I figure this out? Well, it's a good reason for that mm-hmm. because you're not in a creative place. You're you're low on what I call your your ladder of self leadership, right? Like a picture of physical ladder, and at the bottom of the ladder, you say, well, what what do you see? And you're like, I don't know. I just see whatever's around me. But you go to the top of the ladder on top of a building, and now you're like, oh my god, I can see the whole city. This mm-hmm. is whole you know a whole different thing. So it's really recognizing all the things we've talked about here are to get you to a higher level of consciousness. And when you get to that higher level of consciousness, the creative opportunities you see to solve problems, to help relationships be better, to be healthier in the choices you're making in your life, you see so many more opportunities that you just can't see when you're low on your ladder or when your intuition is drunk. Mm. And, and when our intuition is drunk or like, how do we walk up that ladder? Are we, are we like sobering up our intuition? Uh, how are we doing that? Are we, are we letting go of those feelings that we think are us? Are all those steps on the ladder? Because inevitably everyone wants to at some point feel that and they could look down and go, oh, now I get the perspective. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a bunch of things in there. So number one is making the thoughts you're, the thoughts you're having or the feelings you're having less significant, right? Going back to like not taking it so seriously. Mm-hmm. That'll knock you up a rung right away, like hands down. One of my favorite ways, though, to raise up the ladder, like literally hands down, you can laugh, you can sing, you can dance, you can do all these things, and that definitely helps. For me, it's being of service. So I have a hack that anytime I'm really in my, in my head, which this has been a, a challenge being in quarantine, but anytime I'm in my head, I would go to Starbucks, 
I would buy a $5 gift card from the cashier yeah. and I would give it back to the cashier and say, it's your job sometime during your shift to buy somebody else a free coffee with this gift card. And for $5, I feel like I've created this ripple effect of yeah. service. You see it in their face, they're like, wait, what? Like, I, I get to mm. give it away to somebody? I'm like, yeah, I'm leaving. I, I won't even see who you, who you give it to. I just want you to give this to somebody. And then I know there's a ripple effect that happens from that. There is, there is such, an, I think, an, an underestimation on the power of service on our own nervous system. Mm. To, you know, we're talking about distancing ourselves from our thoughts. How about we distance ourselves from even the existence of ourselves? Right? If we pour ourselves in other people, there's no way that we don't get that back in return. So, mm. so not taking your thoughts too seriously, letting things settle. When you talk about like being drunk, again, what do you do to sober up? You can't force somebody to be sober. You have to give them time. You give them some water, you hydrate them, mm. you have them rest a little bit, and then they're good as new before you know mm. it. So part of it is just resting, letting things kind of play their own course like the, like the snow globe. And then part of it is really being of service. Mm. So if you can do those three things, it'll raise you up the ladder so much more quickly. That's so powerful because I, I, I know that if I just do something very quickly of service to help someone, it does something very different to the nervous system than does me drinking a kombucha, right? Right, Or me like even going on a hike, which is great, yeah. but it's a very different sort of feeling. Yeah, It's a feeling of truth. It's a feeling of understanding that you are connected to that which you are giving to, mm. and there is no separation. Right. And there's, there's, no, there's no way that you're not gonna get that back. And in many ways, you get that back immediately with a feeling. Yeah. So yeah, I remember what I had this um, this guest on who was talking about just writing post-it notes and putting it on cars. Love that. And I was like, that's pretty creative, right? Yeah. Because you don't know who's going to see it. You don't know how it's even going to affect them. Yep. But you know that you've given, right? And I love the Starbucks thing, and I would challenge many listeners and viewers to try that Yeah. because it's so creative. Whenever you know what I really want to do? I've never done it because I think it's a little weird, but I really want to do it. And if you give me permission, I'm going to start okay. doing it. Is I really want to like walk by. I don't know if they have this as much here. I've, I've lived in LA now for two and a half years, but I was in North Carolina before that and Florida before that. And I would always walk, like be on walks, and I walk by apartment complexes. And the first floor, the ground unit apartments, you could essentially like reach into their balconies, right? Like, I mean, they're right there in front of you. I always wanted to put like fresh flowers on the balcony, like on the tables that people have on their balcony. Mm. And they walk out, they're like, yeah. Who, who bought flowers? Like, yeah. Honey, did you buy flowers? I didn't buy flowers. Yeah. And just like leave them there and just stuff where you don't even see their reaction. There's something about not seeing the reaction to your service where you get to like fabricate an even bigger story, mm -hmm. which really hits you even more. Yeah. So I think whatever it, whatever it is for you, listen, my... I feel like as much as possible, my life, my, my work, the way I show up in the world, it's, it's really guided by this, this quote by Howard Thurman. And Howard Thurman said, uh, don't ask what the world needs more of, uh, ask what makes you come alive and then go do that. Mm -hmm. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And so whatever it looks like for you, whatever lights you up and makes you feel alive, that's not selfish. Right, like that's being of service. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that we hear so much, and I definitely have felt it myself, is that it's it's selfish to do for yourself. Like, especially if you're like a, a parent, I hear this from like moms all the time. Mom guilt is such a thing. Like, no, 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 I can't do for me. It's all about my husband, yes. my wife, my kids, whatever it is, right? And it's it's not selfish for you to be lit up because when you take care of yourself in that way, you have so much more capacity to serve others. Mm -hmm. Right? It sounds cliche, but there's a reason why things are cliche. It's because they stand the test of time. They yeah. keep coming back around over and over. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so really just figuring out what lights you up and trying to do more of that. Even in quarantine, there is a a, a baseline. There is a a feeling state 
uh, that is activated, going back to activation, right? Like activating joy or whatever it is. There's a feeling state in the things that you did when there wasn't a quarantine that you can still recreate now. You can find ways to do that. And the more you're doing that in your life, the easier it's going to be to navigate all the stuff that we go through day to day. That is, that's really amazing. That, that is like perfect way to leave us with such important lessons. But at the end of the day, it's like your biggest barometer on anything is your feeling, Yeah. right? That's, that's where you're guiding through. And then you can understand what lights you up because you feel your highest, Yes. Uh, the most amount of joy, the most amount of love, the most amount of presence. You're not thinking about anything when you're being that. So for, for me, it could be dancing. For me, it could be speaking in public. Like, I love that. Yep. But for others, it could be like playing chess, right? Or being in meditation. So that's, that's the power of everything because the way you light up affects me differently than it does anyone else in the studio, right? right? And that's the power because the way I light up, maybe those people that you didn't light up, I light up. Yep. And then that's the power of being act in service. So I, now I get the full picture. I see your genius. and uh, My genius sees your genius. Yeah. So I'm going to get, I'm going to dive right into that book. What's the name of the book for everyone else? Prison Break. Prison Break. Yeah. Okay. And then you, uh, you have programs that you do. Yep. Um, and where do people find out about these? Yeah, so you can find me Instagram, Facebook. I am the Jason Goldberg, the Jason Goldberg. Jason Goldberg was taken, so I was like, how can I get super pretentious? So mm -hmm. I'm like, how about the Jason Goldberg? Yeah. So yeah, you can find me on all the social platforms, and I'd love to continue the conversation there. Awesome, awesome. And um, I, I will be putting uh, your information up on the show notes so everyone can find you. Uh, what are your courses about, by the way, before we go? Yeah, so I do uh, one course called Playful Prosperity, which is kind of this whole thing we're talking about, being more playful with how we create our lives and create our world. Uh, and then I do things that are more for people who are online entrepreneurs. So I have a, a thing called the Competition Proof Business Immersion Program, where I help coaches build their businesses online. Uh, and I'm actually happy to give a link to you to give away the copy of the book to all of your listeners, digital, audio. Perfect. If you're That'd in the amazing. States, I'll send you a, a physical one. I'll hook you up with that. that you see, giving love. You see, you're a smart guy because you know it's coming right back to you. Always, man. That's, That's how the it move. Works. I love that. I love that. Uh, Jason, D. Jason Goldberg, thank you for being here, my Thank man. You, brother. Appreciate and it. awesome conversation, and I appreciate you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. All right. All right, what a combo with Jason Goldberg. I told you he's the man. He drops those visual bombs for us. I actually took a few things that I can add into my repertoire of bettering myself, and I hope you did too. Thank you for rating. Thank you for reviewing. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for telling your loved ones about the show. Let's keep it blowing up, all right? So mm, my homework, tell two people who don't know about the show about it, and let's, let's get this going. Let's get this movement going, all right? Much love, and I'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,